The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. We'll be studying Ruth chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to that. I believe it'll be on the screen as well. Boaz marries Ruth. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, early, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnessing witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel, May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than the seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Ammonabed, Ammonabed the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Sam, Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. So, Pastor Josh is going to go through that in a little bit more detail. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord. As we wrap up this series, as we uh, wrap up where your story went throughout the story of Ruth, 
We pray that you speak. We pray that you connect us to your larger story. And we pray that we leave changed. We say that's all in your son's precious name. Amen. So I grew up going to the Upper Peninsula for two weeks every summer. It's where my grandparents lived. And it was my grandma, Pat, uh, and my grandparents were divorced. And then I would go and I would spend a few days with my grandpa, Luigi. So I'm a quarter Italian. You'd never know it by this pasty frame. Um, But Luigi Mora was my grandfather. And we would play a game with him because he he was the youngest of 11 kids. And so we had all these brothers and sisters who all still lived in the same town. And they all played bingo. And they had their bingo change. And I would go, and every single one of my aunts and uncles had this little jar, and it just had quarters in it. And we'd play bingo. Well, my goal, every time I went up there, probably from the age seven and up, was to get as much of their change into their jars, into my jar. Because I would come in, and we wouldn't have any change. And so first, we'd have to ask each of our aunts and uncles, hey, can we have a couple of quarters to play bingo with y'all? But then I always had an angle. I was always trying to figure out how do we play one more big game of bingo? How do I get one more opportunity to get a little bit more of their change purses, right? This happened so often, by the time I was about eight years old, my grandfather no longer called me Josh. My grandfather called me, you little conniver. Um, and for the next five years, he would not use my first name. All he would use was, how is my little conniver doing today? All right? Well, I remember the day I was 13 years old. He called me up and he says, Josh, I want to let you know you impressed me a lot last time when you came up. And I said, really? He's like, yes, you're really growing up. I said, great. He's like, I am promoting you to hustler because you're always on the hustle. And it just then would go on for the next five years. I was no longer Josh, but I was the little hustler in the family. Right? I like finding the angle. I typically play by the rules, but, and my wife will tell you this, I am always scheming for something. Typically, I try to plot for good, but that said, and that's typically, I do like to scheme. I do like to plot. I do like to figure out a way to get the end result that ideally I would like to see happen. And I spend a lot of mental power and a lot of time setting up those types of situations. Well, the reason why I bring that up is because when we're looking at our scripture today, Boaz plays the conniver. He plays the schemer. He sets up a situation where he knows the outcome he wants is going to happen. And for a very real reason, he is plotting for good. But before we get there, we've been going through the book of Ruth, and we've been talking about how each chapter builds on one another. More than most books of the Bible, if you don't know what happened before, you're really not going to understand how this book ends. So, like every week, we're going to do something called... Hi, I'm Ruth, and here are some things you need to know, or maybe just forgot. So... Start off, it's chapter one, a family is rocked by a series of poor choices, death, and poverty, right? uh, Naomi's husband decides to move out of the country, out of the promise. Uh, They'd been hit by famine, and so they end up moving out, and when they move out, everything goes wrong. All the men die, the husband, the brothers, the women are left without any property, without any resources, without any legal standing. They're in the wrong country, and it ends, chapter one ends with Naomi actually saying, I'm going to change my name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, not the same Mara that my grandfather's last name is, that was of the sea, but Mara in Hebrew, which means bitter. Story ends with this bitterness, and yet chapter one also ends with them returning to the promise, returning where God said, I will protect you, I will care for you, I will not leave you alone. 
And then, last chapter, what we see is Ruth and Boaz starting up this relationship, right? And Naomi sleeps into his room at night after he's had a few too many drinks and he's in a good place. And there's this weird story where she wakes up and he's like, wait, but there's, a, there's a woman in my bed. And she's like, yeah, I'm cold. Give me a cover. And then the, he realizes, oh, so, something's happening here. And they talk about this term, the guardian redeemer, which in ancient times is a way where if the men died in a family and God wanted to protect the women, what he would do to make sure they still had legal standing, to make sure they still had protections, was someone else in the surrounding family would then adopt the mother and marry the wife. Because that would keep the property within the family. It would keep them within legal standing, citizens of the country. It gave them protection. However, what we find in chapter 3 is that while Boaz is in line to be a guardian redeemer. There's one person in front of him. And so the story ends last week with a little bit of a to be continued, right? Boaz says, I've got to go work something out. And this is how Boaz works it out. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer who's in front of him in line, he had mentioned, came along. Boaz said, come here, my friend. Sit, sit down. Hey, let's, let's chat for a little bit. So he went over and he sat down. But then, and this is where this shrewdness conniver comes in. So we went over and sat down. But also took, uh, Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, hey, yeah, you guys come over too. You know, hey, hey, share some wine. Let's hang out for a little bit. And they did. Then once everyone's around, he says, hey, you know what? Naomi, she's come back from Moab. She's selling some of her husband's old land um, to, who, to one of our relatives. I thought I should bring up the matter to you, suggest that you buy it. And the president seated everyone here. So everyone who would know, yes, this is a legal transaction, is seated around. If you will redeem it, do it. But if not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm the next in line. And the guy's like, oh, dude, man, some new land, get some more acreage, get some more crops, sounds like a great idea. Yep, I'll buy the property. And as soon as he says this, this is where Boaz knows he's got him. Right? This is where the angle worked. Because then Boaz said, oh, forgot to mention, on the day you buy the property... You also get Ruth, and you're going to marry her. you got to have children with her because we want her family's line to go forward. That's what he's telling him. And all of a sudden, this guy, we find out, has his own family. Husbands, how well would your wife respond if you came home from work, started off with, bought a new house, came with a wife, right? That's not going to end well, right? And so he immediately realizes, oh, Oh, come, and he realized he was gamed, right? He realizes he has to make the decision now, and there's no way it ends well with him if he comes home with property and a wife, right? And so he's like, okay, time out, time out. No, 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 no. I don't want to endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Boaz set the situation up. So it would be a legal transaction. It'd be a moral transaction, but he wanted to protect Ruth. But at this point, we can pretty much establish he's probably in love with Ruth. When you hear how he speaks about her in chapter 2, in chapter 3, there is this respect. There is this level of, this is a woman after God's own heart. Look how she's protecting her mother-in-law. Look how she goes above and beyond. Look at her posture. Look at her humility. And so Boaz is going to do whatever it takes to make this a legal moral marriage, to be her guardian redeemer. 
And then we have this weird thing where it talks about how in ancient Israel, to seal a deal, you didn't have like a, a stamp, you didn't go to the notary. No, you would gather the elders of the city together, and then one dude would take off his shoe, and he'd give it to the other guy and be like, all right, here's the deal, deal sealed. And so we start moving towards this happily ever after. And what we find is this story in and of itself, if, if this was just Ruth, and it ended right here, it'd be a story of how God provides. It'd be a story of how God redeems. It would be a story of how the people of God are supposed to act when we come together. But what we find is this small story in Ruth is connected to a much, much larger story. And this is where the shoe drops in the storyteller. If you were a narrator, you would immediately realize where this went. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has had a son, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see, in ancient Israel, much of the Old Testament is leading up to King David and the first true monarchy where they had a king who was after God's own heart. And Ruth was written after David, right? Sometimes we misunderstand how the Bible was put together. Most of the Bible was originally stories that families would tell, and eventually they started putting these stories into written form. And so Ruth was probably written after King David, but everyone knew who King David was, right? The stories were told from family to family, but the scripture itself, right, the whole point of it is it's pointing towards David. It's pointing back and saying, this is what God did in this situation, which built this monarchy, which built this foundation, this pillar of the faith of how God worked throughout the life and times of King David, right? And so this idea that this storybook ending, this almost Cinderella-like ending, is built into the, one of the most established characters of the Old Testament. In fact, as the church, we realize that the Messiah, Christ himself, his lineage runs through the life and times of David. And so for us, it's even deeper. Again, we read it last week in Matthew, but as it goes through the genealogy, there are only three women who are mentioned. Tamar, who pretended to be a prostitute. Rahab, who actually was a prostitute. And Ruth, who was a foreigner who had no legal standing. And yet God used these women to bring about the Old Testament's kind of happily ever after. Yeah. Oh. Oh. All right? The king that was promised. And yet, in this story, what we start to realize is there's a lie, right? That the people in that story were damaged goods. That Naomi should have just kept her name Mara. She should have just been bitter. That Ruth didn't have a place in God's community. That Boaz, 
the son of a prostitute, shouldn't be a part of God's community, shouldn't have things like honor and respect, right? There's this lie that what we've done in the past is going to dictate what God can do in the future. And yet the truth of the matter is, is that God only uses broken people. Hear that again. Outside of Jesus, the Son of God, all of us regular humans, of all the ones he used, he only uses broken people. And in fact, if you go through the highlight reel of the Old Testament, Abraham was a straight-up coward. My favorite story with Abraham, and this is not a joke, he had a hottie for a wife. He would go around traveling throughout the country, and he would meet these kings who he realized, he's going to want my wife. And so he convinced his wife on two separate occasions to pretend to be his sister, married his wife off to a different king so he wouldn't get in trouble. Even though God had told him, your wife is where the lineage is going to come through, twice he played the coward. Broken marriage, broken people. Moses, he straight up killed the dude. Then he ran. David, adulterer, liar, murderer. Uh, King Solomon, lush. Peter, hothead who literally denounced Jesus before he went to the cross. Matthew was a tax collector, a thug. They would literally show up with Roman guards and say, hey, you owe X amount of money, and if you don't pay it, I'm going to send the centurion in, and he's going to start breaking legs. Saul, Paul, religious terrorist. God only uses broken people. And yet, all of those people, Rahab the prostitute, Ruth, all of them God used to do something beautiful, right? This idea that he only uses broken people for his purposes. Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Within Christianity, though, sometimes we get this mixed up because we want to just stop at the comma. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, full stop. And all of a sudden, what God wants, all of a start, starts to look a lot like what I specifically want. And so, well, God wants me to have that house, or that car, or that job, or that body. And God's purposes get under my purposes. And yet, that's not what Scripture says. No, it's called according to his purposes, his kingdom, what he wants to do in our lives. And what's awesome is what God wants to do is always bigger than what we want to do. At the beginning of the story, Naomi and Ruth just want stability. They just want to hurt a little bit less. What does God do through that situation? He puts them into the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, that is infinitely bigger than any of their plans, infinitely bigger than their best thinking. And it was hard. It was broken. They made mistakes along the way, and yet his kingdom, his reign, his ideas were lived out through him. The next sermon series is going to be called Hashtag Blessed. We're going to go going through the Beatitudes. 
and looking that and realizing that the blessings of God, the purposes of God, don't look like the purposes of man. And our best thinking isn't going to get us where we ultimately want to go. It certainly isn't going to get us where God ultimately wants us to go. And yet what we see in the story of Ruth is that as we follow God, as we trust in him, he redeems broken situations. He redeems broken people. He puts us into his story, and he does something bigger and better than anything we ever could have imagined. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we come before you humbled by what you've done throughout the lives of some broken people, but also uh, repentant, sorrowful that often we are adding to the brokenness. Lord, that instead of being used by you, we want to use you. Instead of following you, we try to get you to follow us. Lord, we come before you as broken, struggling children. And we ask for a God who specializes in messy people. A father who throughout generations has taken has taken rebellious children and taught them a new way. Brought them into your kingdom so we could be a blessing to our families, to our neighbors, and beyond. Lord, we humbly ask that God to do something in our lives. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.